Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brother Cousins Podcast, episode 48. Today is a fun day on the podcast. We have, of course, Jared and Jeffrey and me, Christopher, but we're also joined by our brother in the Lord, Brother Lee Adair. Hey, man. Hey. Uh, Lee is here with his uh, family in Stillwater, Oklahoma. We're very blessed to have them here. Lee is preaching a meeting for us uh, this Wednesday through Sunday at the North Chardo Church of Christ. So it's uh, been great to have him so far. He's staying at our house, and we knew that uh, it would make him feel bad if we left him out of the podcast, so he kind of had to be here today. Love a pity invite. Absolutely. It's the best we got. So unfortunately, his lovely wife, Ellen, is not going to be on the podcast. Uh, She's lucky her is talking to my wife. So anyway, today um, we're going to maybe kind of, we're not going to shift gears totally, but we're going to maybe shift half a gear we have been discussing the church of christ area-wide meeting that happened back at the end of july and we featured many speakers from that and there's been a passage that jared and jeffrey and i have kind of discussed that we wanted to bring up today in the podcast and kind of dig deep and chew on and that passage is first peter chapter four Focusing on verses 7 through 11, as we consider the ideas about hospitality and how that our relationships in the body of Christ have played such an important foundation in our discussions over the past several weeks. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, and we're just glad that you're joining us and hope that it's a good time talking some Bible and having some good fellowship. So. This really was uh, kind of a brainchild of Jared. And so, Jared, I would love for you to talk to us a little bit about why this passage kind of got your attention and what made it attractive to you and kind of some of your thought processes. Yeah, so this is a passage that Jeffrey and I both kind of came back to with the scope of the topics we've been covering. and the reason behind the topics that were given at the area wide meeting, the reason behind the topics that we've covered in the last several episodes of our podcast, that being the, the pandemic and what we saw coming out of the pandemic and our reactions to all of those things. And I think Sean hit the nail on the head in his description of that and that those things moved us and we saw a lot of movement there was a lot of movement in my life, even though by and large, I was unaffected. There was a lot going on around me that just seemed out of control and and seemed, well, I'll just leave it at that. Um, That made me consider what the Christian's response to not just those kinds of things, but this world in general should be and sent me to digging and, First Peter 4 is a, is a passage I came to as we talked, wrapping up our last episode, we gave Peter's intro into his chapter there in chapter one, sorry, into his letter. He talks about our need for one another and serving for God's glory and how all of that is captured by the body of Christ. And Early, I say early on with the pandemic, I don't guess I know exactly when it was. I sat down and started breaking this passage down, doing one or two verses at a time. And 
I actually have lost all of that writing because I didn't think to save any of the stuff I posted on Facebook. And that's where I did all of this work, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, but I love the way it starts out because it, it conjures an image of apocalyptic language. Verse seven, but the end of all things is at hand. Hand, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, I don't think Peter is talking about the end of the world because he obviously said at hand and that did not happen. If he's inspired by the Holy Scripture or by the Holy Spirit as he pins these things, there's something else that is ending. And that's not necessarily paramount to what we want to get at. There's a change happening in, mm-hmm. in all of our lives. Change causes angst. Yeah. Um, I was reading some stuff the other day. There was a, a graphic someone had posted that was the habits of successful people versus the habits of unsuccessful people. And one of those things was the ability to change. And obviously change for the sake of change is not good, but if we're learning and gaining wisdom, the ability to adjust maybe is a a better way to put that to, to make adjustments and changes we see necessary. And there were some things that, I'm going to get off off trail here. Let me bring it back to this passage. But so the context here that's given, the end of all things is hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And so we already have a command, two commands. Be watchful in your prayers and be serious or sober. And so we see that Christians are not supposed to live with their heads in the sand or live as if they're ignorant they see what's going on around them. And we, I, I believe there's a purpose in that. We see what's going on around us because our job as God's image bearers in this world is to serve those around us. And we can't serve people if we don't know what their needs are. And that applies within the body. It applies without the body. So as we're living sober, we're living clear minded and we're constantly giving everything back to God. And I don't know, do you guys want to hit on some of this before we go any further? Yeah, I've got a couple of questions just as we kind of frame before we get into the, the, the commands, the context. So you mentioned that it's likely that he's not talking about the second return of Jesus. Um, let's dig a little bit deeper into that because I think that there's a lot of people who probably do have that thought process and and I can see for good reason. Mm -hmm. I know another thought process is um, that he is looking forward to that major change. And that major change could be some of the severe persecution from the Roman government. Um, But I could also see the argument that some have made where they're talking about that. He says that essentially Jesus could come at any time because no man knows when he returns. And so it seems that in a lot of cases, Paul in particular talked about, talked about the return in a way that it could come at any time as a thief in the night. And so Peter may not be making as a prophetic of a statement as he is a, in general, Jesus could come at any time. And therefore, whether it's persecution or if it's the return of Jesus, we need to be living in a different manner. So regardless, the commands are applicable, but the context could be different depending on which 
train of thought that you follow. So explain mm-hmm. a little bit on why you believe um, it's it's not necessarily connected to the return of Jesus, the second return of Jesus. That is a great question. And, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm flexible on that, not really looking to have a debate or cause a debate rather on that. And, and I know you're not. I appreciate the, the spirit with which the question was asked. I think what Peter is giving here is a lot more practical as you get down into this writing. And, and like I said, if you start at the first of, the, of his, this letter, where he talks about Christian love and how much we need one another and leaning on the promises of God. These are practical things that are at work in the world right now. It's what God expects his people to be doing. And I guess that would still apply if Christ was to return, but he talks about the use of our gifts and move down. And this is outside of what we're going to talk about. Verse 12, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial that's about to try you. And on in that thought process, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as faith as to a faithful creator. And that's the end of this chapter, verse 19. So it sounds like verse 19 may lend itself more towards that there's going to be a major change. And that might be some of the persecutions involved there. Right. And and whatever the church would be going through, and there's lots of debate even within the group that thinks it was persecution that was coming where exactly that persecution was coming from, how it was applied and, and by whom. And so there's, like I said, there's a lot of, of schools of thought. I think the the immediate context provides for that persecution that's coming, changes in their lives, maybe what we would consider drastic changes. If you consider how we reacted to what's going on in our society, we right. consider some very minor things, sometimes very drastic. I'm speaking about myself. How many times, Jared, in the last two years have you heard the phrase the new normal? A lot. Yeah. I mean, it's we it's it was kind of like 9-11. People always want to talk about post-9-11, everything is different. And now everything the the next big event was the pandemic. Now everything is, you know, in the post-COVID era. The new normal is XYZ. And I think maybe Peter is saying things are one way now. And you need to develop good habits while there's not some of this external pressure that Sean Zebok talked about last week. You know, now that you things are easier, develop the good habit now rather than trying to have to build a strenuous habit after things get strenuous. And I think that we'll see that really come out as we dig into some of the commands that are going on here. But Jared, you know, we're, I, I believe that regardless these commands are things that are applicable that are very practical steps that we can be taking right now to prepare us for either the persecution and or the return of Jesus. But I I would tend to agree with you that it's talking about just a major shift of what's coming. And and that makes it even more applicable today as we are likely heading towards some major changes and major shifts within this nation and what could potentially be going on moving forward. So as we think about these commands as maybe steps of preparation, that becomes very applicable to us. So let's dig into some of these commands. And Well, and to your point, Jeffrey, um, I want to hit the fact that because Christ had died, there was already a major shift. He 
is the reset of humanity. And if you're going to live a Christian life, your life is drastically different, especially for these people that didn't grow up in church. Their lives were different. And so they've had this change and, and within that context of being prepared for Christ to come, being prepared for just the life you're living now to be different. There's these things that you settle on that are going to help you every day bear that standard forward. And I'm sorry, I cut you off. That's okay. So, I mean, what I was doing was transitioning over to, to some of these commands. So the first command, you know, you can say there's four or five commands. The first command, as you mentioned, is to be sober, which means to be serious, to be thoughtful, to be considerate. It's this idea of letting a fact of so much importance make a solemn impression on your mind and preserve you from wasting mental or physical energy on other things. And so you think about this idea of if I were to tell you that the end is tomorrow or that some severe persecution is going to come next week and you believe me, I think it's likely that our first instinct would to be a little bit of a panic. Our mind would start reeling with some anxiety. It may be hard to sleep over the next week, but I believe what Peter's saying here in this first command is don't panic, stay clear minded, stay under control. Don't be filled with anxiety. Don't quit your job. Don't go crazy. Remain sane and think and evaluate the situation maturely and correctly. Yeah, we, we have this phrase, a sobering thought. Like if that, if that actualization hit us, it would hit us like a freight train and we would immediately have clear thoughts about what was important and what was not. And so, yeah, I think that that's another, that is definitely the primary sense in which it's true. I also think it's very true in a practical sense. You know, I talk to my kids about sobriety and we, we, we're increasingly in a culture where drugs and alcohol are promoted, glorified, available. And when we talk about that, my rationale for the way that we live is like, you know, boys, we need to make sure that we don't put things in our body that would alter our mind where we can't make good choices and choose to serve God. So I think in our culture where being numb, being over-medicated, being intoxicated is very normal for a lot of people. We need to be advocates for sobriety, not only in seriousness, but in our own mind and our own body about having clear sound judgment. Yeah, that is very applicable. You, you cannot be clear if your mind is clouded and it, it happens in panic. It happens with, you know, these drastic changes It happens with, with all sorts of things, but mind altering drugs and alcohol are, are definitely included in that list of things that keep you from fulfilling this command of being serious or being sober, keeping your faculties about you as it were. And with that, in that seriousness, the way we keep our heads or a way we can keep our heads is being steadfast in our prayer life. And we've talked about the kingdom and talked about, God sitting on his throne and God being sovereign over all that's an episode Christopher had. And this is something we've talked about at length in our podcast. And that 
seriousness, that soberness and in the ability to maintain that and not want to be numbed away from the world is aided by everything's going to work out to God's glory in a mindset that says, whatever I can do in this current circumstance to glorify God is what I want to do. And when we turn that over to him and one way we're going to accomplish that mindset, because that's not easy. You don't just come to a place where you say, God, my body is yours. My life is yours. My will is yours. You learn to pray to him, study in his word and ask him for help in that. And, and that's, this is practical because this is something I have had to do over the last several years, be more diligent in my prayer life and ask God to, to help me find places where I need to make changes and then help me make those changes and help me realize the areas where I'm not turning my life over to him and ways in which I'm not being as diligent to surrender to him as I should. I think along those same thought processes, Jared, is that if we are looking towards the future and the uncertainty and what could potentially happen in a sobering way, then it's going to change what we pray about. If we're maturely and correctly looking towards that, then we would recognize how many people need the Lord and we'd be praying for them then we're going to recognize that we have brothers and sisters who are struggling and we're going to pray that they have courage and strength and they can persevere. You know, we'd recognize that the church is under constant scrutiny and we would pray that the church might be that bride that brings glory to God. And we'd recognize a lot of different things and we'd be prayerful about those things, I believe. And that's part of that looking at things differently um, through a sober mindset. So guys, I found a cross-reference I'd like to share if I could. This is Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 34. This really ties into what verse 7 is teaching, and it may be that Peter is remembering him saying this, but he says in Luke 21, 34, but watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. And I believe he's probably talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in this instance. He says, verse 35, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape these things which are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So he ties together that idea about of being sober, not being literally drunken, and also tying that in with prayer and vigilance about a trial that is to come. So it, it's a, almost a direct tie-in here. That's a good point, Christopher. And, and I hadn't thought about that reference, but you're right. The language seems to parallel pretty strongly. Um, and it may be one of those things that, you know, whenever Paul wrote, he would do these like indirect references to Old Testament scriptures, and he wouldn't cite them. He would just keep talking and expect people to catch it. And that may have been what Peter's doing here. Yeah. I think it's intriguing that it's interesting because he says it's almost redundant in a way, even though sober and watch are two different forms of sober, they both are sobriety verses or, uh, or words, excuse me. And so it's almost like he's being sober and, and furthermore, 
specifically be sober in prayer, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's not just watchful of things around you, but like what you said, um, your watchfulness of, of your surroundings, the things going on is facilitated by your watchfulness in prayer. And maybe that's watchfulness of in our own self at times too. Um, sobriety of considering our own self and how we're handling mm-hmm. um, the external things that are going on around us. It's um, a good point. Um, we, you know, a lot of the times we think that we're handling things better than what we actually are. And yeah. so, uh, you know, way evaluating things truthfully um, in the way that we're handling particular situations. That's a good point. And it's interesting. Peter does that quite a bit in this set of verses, handling it a lot like a dad. He has talked about suffering to come, suffering for right and wrong, suffering as Christ suffered, and and all of that going towards God's glory. And in this set of passages, set of verses, he has the the soberness here that he calls out twice in verse 10. No, I'm sorry. Verse nine, he basically doubles up on the hospitality thing where he is trying to be very clear about the message he's getting across. And, and I'm jumping ahead of us, but that clear mindedness is, and again, you know, we, we saw it. And the reason for the topics at the area wide was because we saw some things that needed to change. And as we look for things to come, we talked with brother Sean last week about how our society is different and how we've been so blessed to live in a bubble free of persecution. But now we can see in clear mindedness and not have to be fearful, but we can see, Hey, this is not the way it's been in the past not the way it is in other places in the world. And it's likely not to be this way for a whole lot longer, maybe 50 years, maybe longer than that, maybe shorter, but we have a chance to prepare ourselves mentally. You know, Rachel bought me a survivor survival book years ago, and it's just interesting to look through. But the first chapter in that book is about preparing yourself mentally because you have a better chance of surviving well, if you prepare yourself ahead of time. And Christopher, I know that's something you're into. I don't know how many Saturdays or time off we've spent trying to build a primitive fire or work with primitive tools or, and that stuff wasn't even necessarily for survival as much as it was just interesting, but right, it, it makes sense. And as we change our mindset, because we're changed in Christ, the pandemic showed us a lot of areas where we worried about stuff that wasn't important. Now we can see a little more clearly things that are important. We're considering our souls, considering the souls of our brothers and sisters and considering the souls of the world. And in that we're considering ourselves in our prayers, sober mindedness in our prayer life. And he transitions. And, and this has just hit me every time I've read it in verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And this will probably be a passage or a verse we spend some time on, but that above all, and and that takes my mind back to love being the bond of perfectness. As Peter is preparing them for whatever it is and, and helping the Christians get their mindsets right, 
above all of this or above everything, keep love for each other. The new king is have fervent love for one another. Yeah, I mean, this passage gives the priority and preeminence to love. And if you look at that Greek word for fervently, it means to be stretched out or without stopping. And so it gives this qualifier of it doesn't. And it it really lends itself to some of the concepts in First Corinthians chapter 13, where it bears all things. Um, other passages is that love covers a multitude of sin. It it endures consistently and thoroughly. It doesn't matter how the other person acts. You still love fervently. It doesn't matter if you disagree with that person. You still love fervently. And, you know, really, and, and we see this over and over again, I don't want to sound like a broken record or a cliche, but love is the real MVP of the Christian virtues Yeah, because it's given preeminence in so many different areas. And, you know, you can be a Christian with a thorough knowledge of the Bible and theology, a sparkling church assembly record, a tax receipt showing all of your generosity. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. And those things are unprofitable. Yeah, absolutely. And I have presented this and, and there was a, an episode done by some brothers where they specifically talked about this passage and I didn't go back and read mine, but I wondered if, I didn't present myself the way I really intended. This love covers a multitude of sins is an interesting phrase to me. Yeah, I was wondering about that too, Jared. I'm really interested to see what you think about it. He's writing to Christians. Okay. Love has covered the multitude of their sins. They are covered and are being covered. The, The reference I pulled back to was Proverbs 10 and 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Now, obviously, covering up sin is not what we want to do. That's other passages where covering sins is unprofitable. Jesus didn't cover sins. He bore the penalty of sin. And we are not authorized to forgive sin the way Jesus has forgiven sin. And so I I want to be clear in, in state that we cannot forgive sin the way Jesus forgave sin. But when we cover trespasses, cover sin, we're not holding our brothers and sisters to an unreachable standard. We are providing the path that Christ has authorized us to provide that we show to everyone of repentance and reconciliation. And that's where love covers a multitude of sins. When someone repents, when someone wants to make that change, we open our hearts back up to them. Don't close them off. Don't shut them out. Keep them at arm's length. But we bring them back into the fold. And for a lot of us, or let me bring that back. For me, that has especially looked like the small things that aggravate us where I have set boundaries and someone has trespassed over my boundaries. Well, it's not a sin problem. It's just you're within my bubble. And I've had to say, hey, it's all good. And learn to say, hey, it's all good. And especially if that's what someone needs. That's a good point. And it reminds me, there's a phrase that I heard one time. Brother Lloyd Smith and I did some teaching at the Southern Region meeting many years ago. 
and it was about the Lord's Prayer. And he was given the passage that talked about, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And the way he titled his sermon and a concept that he talked about was called interpersonal grace. And I loved that phrase, that idea that as we are the recipients of the grace of Christ and the grace of God through the gospel, we then turn around and we offer interpersonal grace to those maybe who sin against us or maybe those things that we have to forbear, which is another thing that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we are to do. Yeah, I mean, and since you brought up 1 Corinthians 13, it's I think it's that concept that love bears all things, that when love abounds in a fellowship of believers, those small offenses or even some of those larger offenses are overlooked and forgotten, and they don't affect the relationship. They don't influence the way that you act towards that person. Um, in fact, in a situation with division, and problems is a time when love really needs to abound more and more to cover those offenses during those times. And whenever you think about Jared, I'm going to kind of reference some of the things that you talked about when you consider this is the same type of love, which is agape being taught about in respect to God's interaction with us, that God's love covers a multitude of sins. His love is the reason that our offenses against him can be forgiven and we can have a relationship with him. And so we in turn do that with others. We should be able to forgive our brethren for the offenses that they have made in relation to us. And I think that if you're lacking love for your brethren, then you're missing a major Christian tenet. And you might even need to start questioning the authenticity of your relationship with God because of some of the language that is used around loving your brother and loving God. Yeah. Yes, sir. And in this study, and, and we've danced around it, or in, in my mind, as you guys have talked, we've danced around it. This is what drove me to Colossians and Ephesians. You know, I started here in, in Peter. It was actually at Christopher's recommendation early on in the pandemic and ended up in Colossians and Ephesians. Colossians 3 beginning in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if any has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And so we've hit we have um, harmony between Paul and Peter as Peter's touching on these things. We see Paul touch on these things. Love is the driver. Love is what binds it together, but we forbear with one another. We have meekness and humility toward one another. And as Jeffrey just said, as Christ has forgiven us, we are commanded to forgive, but we're also enabled to forgive. Amen. And you think about the last few years, and how important love has been. And then you think about in reflection of the topics, how many times over the course of our discussions with the speakers from the area-wide meeting, did they talk about COVID helping us recognize the need of fervent love in our congregations for one another? Um, and especially as we prepare for potential persecution. So again, we come back to this context and say, man, this is powerful and applicable. I think that 
I think it's important too to talk about the practical side of this because we we talk a lot about love one another, be patient, kind, forgiving, all those things. And I would like to think that I have the capacity that, that in every situation I can just let it go. And that's what we think that this always looks like. This having fervent charity covering a multitude of sins is me just going, it's not a big deal. I'm going to let it go. But there's a reason why Christ put in the process of mending relationships, both mentioning it in uh, Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, talking about going and talking through and gaining your brother. And and as talking with a lot of people, I think there's a lot of folks who feel like that's the only way that they can cover things with love is to just internally say, well, I'm going to let it go. And I really think that part of this process is, is following Christ's um, admonition to go and mend it in love. That's what fixes it. That's what helps cover it. Otherwise, you know, it stays inside. And you know, having said that, I've also seen situations and, and sadly been a part of them where you go and you say, well, here's where I stand. Here's where I stand. Okay, we love one another, but there's no relationship building. Mm -hmm. And we have to continue that process. And that's what love does. Love spurs you to continue the relationship building process uh, through this. And, and that's where I think the next couple of verses come into play here. Um, I was going to say, this is where this ties back to the first verse. We say we can let it go. We say, you know, we can tell ourselves it's not a big deal. And in those instances, okay, if you can truly let it go, okay. Yeah. But are you really being sober? Are you thinking clearly about whether or not you have let it go? Because often I haven't. I don't bring it up, not to that person, but it definitely influences the way I've behaved. I think that's where a practical way of looking at this, and I can't remember the passage that it talks about this. It's probably in Colossians, Jared, um, that it talks about almost as though forbearing is the first step. And if you're unable to forbear, then forgiving one yeah, another. Yeah, that's Colossians 3. Um, yeah. And so kind of this stepwise progression, if you will, where if you find yourself unable to overlook those offenses and really doubling down with a clear and sober mind and recognizing your responsibility as a Christian to love fervently in a way where you forgive the way that God has forgiven. That's the way I think about that verse too. I think there is some of that, that we just kind of have to absorb like a deflector shield in Star Trek, right? I mean, and we can, and, and if I'm giving myself enough time, to think about it most of the time on these forbearance deals i realized that the reason i was irritated wasn't the other person's fault it was my problem and that's the reason i was irritated my boundary was stupid or unreasonable and so then but, but had i gone and immediately confronted then i would have made a situation out of something that shouldn't have been so <laughs> i think we do have the absorb if we can and then the next step is what lee is saying is Okay, maybe we need to like talk it talk it over to see what we can do to build a relationship. I agree. I mean, I don't think that every little we don't need to be nitpicking one another, and that's a part of that forbearing and being tender-hearted one towards another is yeah. all about is not being nitpickers and preparing our heart to. I mean, being soft in love, but being, you know, mm -hmm. 
being tough skinned in that we're not offended by every little thing I think is important, which may be a little off, but one of the things you said in talking about covering a multitude of sins, you know, whenever God talks about remembering our sins against us no more, it's almost like a compartmentalized thing. Cause it's not like, you know, God in his all knowing capacity, I don't think he erases it from the memory banks. Right. Um, but as he covers it, he, he veils it, I guess. And that's, that's a part of that word. I guess Thayer's talks about, um, with cover there and you veil it or, or put it to the side and that's how it doesn't grow to be something bigger um, and that's not sweeping under the rug that is a conscious decision to not let, let this be an impedance to our relationship or a distraction to the church right in that sense so as we work this transition in the next passage i want to tie some of the things we've talked about together I did some word study on forbear there in Colossians. And one of the root words is has a, a meaning to literally or to figuratively press yourself against like you're, you're clinging to something. And the way I have viewed that going through several and, and digging down into the roots of those words was for, especially for us as Christians is leaning on one another as we lean on Christ as if we could not stand without the other that we could not do this, cannot do this without our brothers and sisters. We have to behave with the understanding that we need each other. And so forbearing doesn't just mean to put up with, which is the way I have used that and internalized that for years, that oh, I just put up with them. And that doesn't build the kind of relationships that you really see Colossians driving at, that you see First Peter 4 driving at. and now we moving into Peter or the next command we're given, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And as we work on building these relationships, as we work on learning the fact that we have to have each other, now I'm getting people in my home and we're getting on least topic from the area wide meeting of having people in my home, building these relationships up so that, you know, there are people that I can have conversations with about the nitty gritty where I'm just nitpicking because they do something that annoys me. And I am not worried at all about how they're going to react to that because we have a solid relationship. Now, obviously, there's people that are not that way that would see me coming to them and nitpicking as hateful or unnecessary or overbearing, but as I have people in my home, as we develop these relationships, then we get to where we can have these truthful conversations and these conversations where we make ourselves vulnerable because then we're not just going and saying, you know, Hey, you've got this, 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 and this, but going, Hey, man, I've got a problem. And this just really drives me nuts. And I know it's a me thing. Can you help me with it? And we've opened ourselves up. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Well, there's a couple of things on this, Jared, you know, as we, kind of keep it within the context of some of our discussions. Um, you know, Lee mentioned Matthew 5, Matthew 18, going to one another. And how often, whenever we put physical space in a relationship because of the bad feelings that we've had towards one another, that the relationship continues to have distance. You know, we see each other in the grocery store and we see them down the aisle. And so we slide over a couple of aisles so that we can maintain that physical distance. 
and what it's what I like about this connection here is that it's almost building upon one another where you're saying you love one another in a way that you forbear and you forgive. And how do you do that? You bring those people into your home and you talk to them. You, like you said, press against one another. And so a lot of the times, whenever you follow Matthew 5, Matthew 18, what you find is that a lot of those fences were misunderstandings. But as you spend time with that person, you welcome them into your home it starts to build that relationship back. And so whether you're rebuilding a relationship or building a new relationship, it's important as we prepare for the coming days. So I'm have some curiosity about this idea of using hospitality and the, the Greek word behind hospitality is literally a love of a lover of strangers, right? To, a lot of times in in the modern comfortable American church, we think about hospitality as I'm having Lee and Ellen over my house because we wanted to, because we knew it was going to be fun to have them in our home. You know, we, we want to invite people over and we want to have fellowship and visit. It's fun. But why would we do something with grudging that was fun? And so that's a signal to me that this use of hospitality is not having somebody over for coffee and bunt cake, right? This is, someone is in my home or under my care out of necessity. And we all know that sometimes those situations can become irritating and irksome and a burden. And so I think it's important that we talk about this whole idea of hospitality. Uh, You mentioned in the strangers deal, this is one of the things that, you know, you experience hospitality in different ways, different places, different cultures in um, it, both in the church and outside of the church. And I think the largely, um, I don't, I don't know. It may be wrong to say that hospitality is a dying art because it's not an art. It's, it's a requirement. Um, but it, it is something as we have become more independent as a society because of ease and comforts and prosperity that has slowly faded to the background. And what that is left behind, I believe, and this is where I'm going to bring your stranger thing in here, is you, it is so much easier to, to get together with the people that you know and you're comfortable with, the ones that you can be real with, like you said a while ago, Jared, and open up than it is to go to someone else in the church that you may not be as well acquainted with. Uh, Gaius is one of those guys um, in Third John where he has mentioned not just the brethren, but he says, and strangers, which I, I think that word is strangers is alien there mm-hmm. in that sense. And so he was very much um, apt to bring anyone into his home because he saw it as a platform for relationships. Okay. Um, in my opinion, um, and look, there's not a lot of info given there. So maybe that's reading too much between the lines, but this is where what you're talking about, Jared, with this being something new and you getting people in your homes. I, I'm like, I'm super glad to hear that. Um, the congregations that are prospering, I believe, to the ones who have been following that pattern for a long time. And I really think that it is something that has been kind of lost on our generation in some ways. And part of that, and I could be wrong, I'm just spitballing here, but I feel like part of that is because we utilized other people's hospitality, not recognizing what it was through the years. And, and and that was one of the things that I've seen a lot with my peers is that they enjoyed all those Bible studies and the meals that they shared, you know, whenever we were teenagers and 
young married couples and college kids in the elders' homes and stuff like that. And then as time has marched on, you can't get to everybody, those elders and, you know, all that older generation, they can't get to everybody. And so you're sitting here going, where'd it go? Yeah. And what we don't realize is, hey, that generation was doing this when we were younger. It's it's our turn, you know, you step into that role. And I don't think you got to wait till you get older, obviously. But, right. um, and but interestingly, that our society, I think sometimes we think about hospitable as being, hey, I'm going to take them out to lunch after <laughs> after services. So we go to Applebee's and we have lunch together and then we get in our own cars and we go back to our, our own homes. That is different than inviting someone into your home and letting them sit on your couch or take a nap on your couch or anything like that. And so, you know, one important qualifier, I think, that is involved in this is one another. So Christopher, I hear your point in the definition that you use, the lover of strangers. I think that the, another definition is a lover of guests. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm the sorry, qualifier I didn't that to be exclusive. My bad. No, that, that's okay. Uh, I'm throwing this out here as the qualifier hear. though, is one another, which to me indicates you're doing it among the fellowship. And I think what Lee is getting to is there are going to be people within your fellowship who you don't know as well. Yes. Like it would be yep. really easy for me to have Nathan over every Sunday and us just sit together and talk and enjoy time. But it's more important for me to be a lover of guests in my home of the people that I don't know. And so it means that we're fond of having brethren over even those brethren that maybe aren't as lovable or friendly or as fun to be with. Or that you just don't know. Yeah. Or that you just don't know. Uh, I, I actually had someone, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I was just going to say this, this is a passage that was really interesting to me as I got in and started pulling Greek words and, and doing some, some word study on why he phrased it the way he did, <clears throat> because I saw the same thing you did, Jeffrey. I saw the one another. And it's interesting. This Greek word is used two other times in the new Testament and both other times are as qualifications or the, characteristics of an elder given to hospitality in Timothy and lover of hospitality in Titus. And I'm sure there are other versions and variants of the Greek word with tenses and things, but this specific word is translated as a lover of hospitality for the characteristics of a man that would be put in the office of an elder. And the way he phrases it, so a lover, be a lover of hospitality without grumbling. It, it's redundant, but it's not redundant on accident. All of us that are recording this have children. And when we give instructions to our children that we want to make sure they do not get wrong, we say the same thing to them two or three different ways. Yep. And Peter is trying to be very clear here that he wants you to love having people in your home. And he is specific and very pointed. Love having people in your home and love doing it. Don't grumble about it. This is not a checkbox item because if you're doing it because you got to do it, then you're grumbling and you are not meeting the command. So I want to dig into the definition of grum of grudging or grumbling real quick. So the Greek definition, depending on what lexicon you're using, Strong's says grumbling or, or murmuring. Um, Thayer's says a secret debate or a secret displeasure not openly declared. 
So this idea is that you're being hospitable in a way that it's not exasperating to you. Because we know that sometimes whenever you bring people into your home, it can be exasperating, not to mention expensive. It can be a chore. And we may be willing to have those who are difficult to love in our homes, but then we complain and grumble about them to our wives in secret. So someone comes over and they eat the rest of the pie and they basically eat the entire pie and we grumble about it the rest of the evening. Or maybe they stayed too long or maybe they were argumentative the whole time. And so we puff ourselves up and we say, well, at least I had them over. But we lacked that proper motivation like you're talking about, Jared. We lack that heart involved in the, his, the hospitable action. And so what it meant is because we didn't have love, that hospitality meant nothing. Yeah. It's so interesting. Every other use of that word in the King James is murmuring. And we all, if you got kids, you know what murmuring is. That's yeah. That's that inner dispute. I mean, our kids don't, our kids probably do it some on the inside, but when you see it on the outside, it sure is ugly. And Um, I've got one that is really bad. Used to be, he's not there. Not so much anymore. Um, Turn his back below his breath because he can't keep it internalized. Crumbling as he walks away. Tell me. <laughs> oh, it drives me crazy. Let's stand here. And, I mean, if you want to talk, let's talk. Don't murmur as you walk away from me. What y'all are getting at is the spirit of, of how we, the spirit of hospitality, the driving motivator, which again, go back to love. I love, I mean, there's some Old Testament stories of hospitality that, I mean, really have stood out to me over time. and. One of one of my favorite ones is is in Genesis with Abraham, whenever they're receiving those visitors. And in that story or in that encounter, you see him like begging these guys to stay. And he starts off by saying just a morsel of bread and like a drop of water, essentially. Just I mean, just just a just a crumb, bro. And and then it turns into they killed the fatted calf. They made cake on the hearth and, and had butter and milk. I mean, they put the spread on. And I think that that shows the spirit that he is he is warning against uh, this idea. I'm doing it because I have to. And it's a trial. I mean, for Abraham, it was a sacrifice that he was gladly giving. And, and this sacrifice of bringing people in our home is a that's what it is. It's a sacrifice that we should be gladly giving, uh, understanding the far-reaching repercussions. Because, I mean, the next verse in Peter, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, and we miss that. We forget it's as such spiritual reaching. I, I have even heard debate nowadays, you brought up, Jeffrey, about people going, well, I'm showing a hospitable spirit if I take people out to eat. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that's a nice thing to do. A lot of people have taken me out to eat through the years, and that's great. And it's good time spent together. It is. I agree. Please don't take that as I was dogging that in its entirety. I didn't I was take just it that saying way. that there's a distinction. I, I agree, and and I didn't take you take it as dogging, but it, it it's not the same. That that is not what he's talking about. Now, is it care for one another? Sure, absolutely. Is it spending time? Sure. Is it invaluable? No, but it is not the same as hospitality using what you've been given it's like instead of having your family sleeping in our home tonight if i just say you know what i'll just pay for you a hotel 
Yeah, which is convenient sometimes for some people in some works, but yeah, and the kids would have you know been pumped about the pool and all, but it's it's kind of like I'm doing my bare minimum duty, but I'm keeping you at arm's length. It's self protection. Yeah, keeping you out of my it's, my private space, you know. And that goes back to what you're talking about on uh, what was that word you were talking about there a while ago? Um, Grudgingly. No, the other one. The Prop, propping yeah. up the propping up oh forbearing yeah forbearing propping up one another uh that that's that's the difference in is is am i willing to facilitate you propping yourself up or am i willing to lean my back i think about it like rock climbing which just let me be silly i'm not a rock climber i mean if you see me you know i ain't climbing no rocks anymore i mean unless there's fish on their side of it i guess <laughs> or a deer but uh, that idea of a rock climber trying to climb up this crack and they back against one wall and their feet and their hands against the other side. And they use that as support and that's how they work their way up. And, and if you let go of either feet. side, you fall. Yeah. And that's a lot of work. Sometimes that's a lot of energy. That's a lot of exertion. Um, it looks like financial expense. One of the things I would suggest people do is find someone who uses hospitality a large amount. It's obvious. Try to get them to to tell you how much they spend mm. just on food, you know, doing that type of thing. Um, it's 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 a large amount, you know, and that's that's a sacrifice. But I would say it comes back. I mean, it pay you paid back in dividends spiritually in the long run, but. And with that, understand percentages. For them, it's a percentage of income. And, and they've set it aside. And, and I know some people that are very hospitable, have multiple families in their home every Sunday afternoon. They can do more than we can. They have a larger income, different setup with their family status right now. And so they're able to do that. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, mm -hmm. use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Mm. Proportionality is what you're saying. Whatever you can do, whatever you have, put it to work. Make it work for God's kingdom and don't minimize the impact of whatever you can do. Now, don't, don't flip that on the other side and say, well, this is all I can do and, and throw out a, a bare minimum effort. But whatever you can do put it to work go ahead jeffrey so as we transition to this fourth command of of using those gifts in a way to bring glory to god i'm noticing a a progression here it seems you know you start with yourself of of having a clear mind and way of thinking as we prepare ourselves um, we're prayerful as we prepare ourselves. We start to look at others and how we interact with others and love one another and forgive one another and maintain or build those relationships. And so you start being more hospitable to facilitate those relationships. And, you know, if you're, if you want to increase your love, then you need two things. You need the devotion to love and you need time spent with one another to practice those that love if we want to improve our hospitality without grudging we need to grow in love towards that person and each of these helps improve the other it's this kind of positive feedback loop if you will 
And so now he's saying that all of us have these gifts, use them to the glory of God. Each person who's been given a gift, use it to serve one another. And he tells us that each one of us have been given a gift. And so that excludes absolutely nobody, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, consider what you have and that others do not have and you recognize it as a gift and then you use it for the common good to bestow it onto other people. And this means that we all need to be involved in the serving of the ministry of one another. And, you know, it, it brings back this idea of the 90, 10 rule or the 80, 20 rule, depending on what book you read, you know, that many people say that most churches, 10% of the people do 90% of the work or 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But if we look at this passage, then this corrects that idea and says 100% of Christians should be involved in some sort of work as they use their gifts to minister to others. Intentionality, I, I think, is important. Invi individual intentionality. And that that's where that proportional aspect is you're talking about is that everyone needs to figure out what they can do on a hospitality front. It, it it does not have to be fancy. It doesn't even have to in, involve food. I mean, when we're talking about hospitality, it can just be, it can be a game night. It can be inclusive of everyone potluck style. There's places where it's just a cup of coffee or it's just a glass of water. I mean, I, that's, that's the aspect of this is I think so many people are skittish for being hospitable because of of what they don't have but some of my fondest memories mine and ellen's fondest memories um jointly is whenever we were newly married and we had zero living room furniture <laughs> and and yet our friends and folks from church would come over and we they'd all bring their own food you know <laughs> we're all poor but whatever their taco bell or their raisin canes or whatever and we just sat on our living room floor in a room <laughs> full of no furniture a room you know lacking in furniture and and we had a good time and those are some of our favorite memories you don't have to have stuff you don't have, even have to have food you just are you willing to open up and Grabbing a hold of that open up aspect and, and pairing that with what Jeffrey had to say about the progression of this passage as it's start with yourself, get your life right, get your mind right, submitting yourself to God, love each other, show mm -hmm. hospitality, you're building these relationships as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, speak as the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. God's grace, and, and we often look at God's grace in salvation. And, right. and yes, God's grace is present in salvation, but this is God's manifold grace, God's varied grace. God pours gifts out upon his people. And in the body, specifically as Peter is writing to a group of people, God puts in order, and, and we have passages that set these things up, that he orders the body as please, pleases him. And what a body needs, if we're willing to submit to him and surrender to him, he will supply those that serve as do so as the strength that God gives. So if we're, if we're following this process, we've got our mind right, we're learning to love one another, 
We're doing that by having people in our home. We're strengthening these relationships, understanding that we have to have each other because we're a body. You can't Christian alone. Then we're connected and we're figuring out our role in the body. We're figuring out our brothers and sisters roles in the body. We're learning how to work together with one another. Imagine if you had never learned what your thumb was for mm. and, and you just went around grabbing everything without your thumb all the time. <laughs> and, and I know that's far fetched because it's, it's just natural, right? Yes. Because it's attached to the body. It's there all the time. There you go. We should be with each other as often as we can be. And, and yes, we have busy schedules that early church had busy schedules. The difference is we have way more entertainment or access, easy access to entertainment than they did. That goes back to sobriety. Yes, sir. Um, but everything with the purpose of letting God's body do the work that he has left us to do, that in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And I think that that's the every. important note, Jared, here is that notice the one goal behind all of these commands coming to the culmination it is to glorify god and so as we as we i know that we're getting close to needing to wrap up and so for a thought experiment i just want you to imagine for a second a church where everyone is clear-minded and intentional where everyone prays where everyone loves each other fervently where there is hospitality going on on a daily basis and where people use their gifts to serve one another, to minister to one another. That would be a church that glorifies God. You know, many times we try to objectively measure the health of a church and we use indicators such as how many members are there or what the financial financial balance sheet is. But really, I think that these may be a better litmus test of a, a strong and healthy congregation because this is the type of church that's glorifying God. And what I like about this passage is that these commands are doable. They are real. They are achievable. They are practical. And I like that it gives us the goal involved in this passage. Who doesn't want to be a part of a church that's doing that? Right. Exactly. In Acts 2. Uh, that's a culmination acts too. They added the church daily, such should be saved. And that was uh, right on the hills of them continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Yeah. That's what I thought of Lee. Yeah. So as we think about this, you know, what commands do we need to be changing in our own life? And that goes back to the sobriety aspect of this, but instead of just shaking our heads and saying, you know, that we agree with all of these things, how does this change what we do tomorrow? Well, I think the important steps is pray, have a clear evaluation of yourself, invite someone to your home, forgive someone for past offenses, find a way to use whatever gifts God has given you to the measure that God has given you to serve other people. And you're all doing this with the ultimate goal of bringing glory to God and cultivating an environment in the church that will bring that glory to God. So, and, and as you pray, as you're praying sober-mindedly, watchful unto prayer, ask God to give you wisdom. Ask God to show you through study of his word, as you're reading God's word, and this is something I think I can remember conversations with 
most, if not all of you, about how God's word just seems to impact where you're missing something, whatever that is. When you're prayerful and you're genuine about wanting God to impact your life and you're in his word, things pop out at you that maybe you haven't noticed before. And so don't just, you know, yeah, I'm going to pray more, but be specific, be intentional about wanting to be closer in the church, wanting to be a healthy body in Christ, that God will show you areas where you're lacking areas where you can improve because well, again, we go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, it goes back to having our head up and paying attention, recognizing things such as people need the Lord and that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling, that the church is under scrutiny and recognizing those things is going to change what we pray about. And I was just going to note that, we're generally most people, not everybody, but most people are pretty good at seeing their strengths. Not everyone is good at seeing their weaknesses and especially not all the time. And as we build these relationships, as we are more intentional about getting in our homes and making times to be in other people's homes, both parts, because other people can't fulfill this command. If we're not helping them, then we can let other people be honest with us and and let God's word work through our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is glorifying to God. And we put all of these things on display for the world to see. And God is glorified that he has dominion over us in all things. Amen. I'd encourage practicality. I get a lot of people who are frustrated or feel frustrated in their attempts to be hospitable. And I would liken it in some ways to consistency and child discipline. And it might sound weird, but if you don't make it a practiced, habitual part of your life, it is harder uh, to do. And I think that's where some of the grudging is. So practically, uh, whenever people ask me about it, one of the things I tell them to, to try to do, be intentional. And so don't, don't just think about budget of money, which I think that that's appropriate and good if you're wanting to invest like in food or, or energy or things like that. But um, budget time. And don't don't go for broke right from the beginning. I encourage people, if you're not having anyone in your home on a monthly basis, then shoot for two. And don't just write two down on a list and wait till the day to, to invite them. You know, schedule it. And if someone can't meet the schedule, keep going down on a list, make a bigger list. And if 10 people can't make it, Maybe the 11th can. And don't be discouraged by that because everyone else has busy schedules too. But you just keep going down the list of your church members and stuff until you get someone who can fill that slot. And as time goes on, if you can add more, do that. Um, But be intentional. And I think that's a part of how love and sobriety meets hospitality. Um, And that is don't give up, you know. If you're not having a hard time getting people into your home, because that is as much as elders are called to be a lover of hospitality and we're commanded to use hospitality. Um, we need to be able to understand that not everyone else is going to utilize our hospitality. Maybe not right away. You know, the flip side of that is in addition to opening our home, we need to be receptive when other people open their home to us. Exactly. And realize that, 
when someone invites us over to their home that maybe we don't know as well or we're not comfortable with, or maybe we find that person annoying or irksome, we need to say yes. Because and maybe it's especially then we need to say yes. Absolutely, bro. Um, because that's an opportunity to see that person in their element, to learn more about them, to gain better understanding, to strengthen that relationship. And on top of all that, we give them an opportunity to serve God and give a sacrifice that he tells us that he wants. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like Christopher, you're adding an additional layer to what this passage is teaching. And that is that we need to be hospitabilified without grudging. We've been hanging around leaving. Honest to goodness. What was the word you used in your sermon tonight? I don't want to say reconciliated or something like that. No, that's a real word. No, it's not. It's reconciled. Oh, yeah. That's what I meant. <laughs> oh, that's right. I said it should be a word. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm adding layers and words. And uh, but that's just the part that, that comes out to me. You know, you know, letting people serve, giving them the opportunity to give a gift that God wants is an important. It takes two. I don't think that's an adding a layer. I think that that's just a piece of the puzzle. Right. I, I think you guys are right. I mean. Which I didn't if God has supplied a particular measure and we decline people all the time from being able to be involved in that, then we're contributing to the problem. Yep. And eventually they'll write you off and you yes. won't get that invite. People don't handle rejection. Well, even if their feelings aren't hurt, they're just going to, you're going to move on to someone who will spend the time. Yeah. One of the other problems I face with it is, and I think this is a real problem. This is why what you were talking, both of you were talking about earlier about needing more boots on the ground, so to speak, of everyone investing, not just some, is that I want to be able to have everybody over every month. I can't do it. I don't, I don't have the time to get everyone in. And, you know, one of the things that I find is that the people who are doing pretty good you know, the church and, you know, cruising along. I'm not, uh, what I mean is people who are stronger in the church and faith and people that I enjoy spending time with, I end up neglecting them mm. a lot of times because I'm trying to invest. And you see that with elderships too, they're trying to invest in the people who are struggling and stuff. Sure. And so sometimes we might think that they're neglecting us, but really they're trying to give attention where uh, attention is needed heavily at that time. And that's frustrating. And sometimes people lift out and that's why we need everyone invested and involved on this hospitality train, so to speak, because someone's going to get left out. Not everybody can take care of everybody. You know, Lee, there was a congregation that I know of that was a larger congregation, and especially in a larger congregation, it's easy for people to fall through the cracks mm -hmm. and for, to not be invited over into people's homes. So what the elders did is that they themselves and then they included, they delegated some additional responsibility to some other members. But what they would do is that they would rotate families. So like for a quarter, this elder was essentially responsible for being hospitable for these people. And then this elder was being hospitable to these people. And then this person that they looped into this to help them grow in their hospitality was responsible for being hospitable for these people. And they would switch like every quarter to make sure that they got time with other people in these other circles 
um, but they didn't feel this sense of regret and remorse whenever they couldn't have everybody over in the same month. Right. And I really liked that. Yeah, that's a good coordinated effort. And I think individually, that's part of what it looks like on the scheduling is mapping it out and saying, how can I get to everybody? And maybe you're like hyper organized and you come up with the year schedule. I'm not, but I try to, you know, and work everyone in. It's it was hard. definitely attractive to me because of the organization involved. Yeah. You're one of those, you got the organization sickness. Yeah. For the record, he nodded at me. Yeah, I did. You can't see that, but I did nod <laughs> and smiled. Wow. Ellen too. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a little surprised, I, although I shouldn't be, about how much we were able to pick out of this little bit. There's a lot in this passage. It's really rich. And, Jared, I really appreciate that you brought it up so that we could, you know, kind of give it a taste and, and, and kind of chew on it. Um, so as we wrap up tonight, next week on the Brother Cousins podcast, we're going to lighten up a little bit. We're going – it's been – Really, I mean, over a year since we kind of did our first episode, we're going to do some life updates, give each of us some opportunities to get some um, update on you know what we're working on, what we're studying on, what we're learning. So a bit of a interviewing each other in a roundtable. So we hope that you'll find that interesting. I'm looking forward to that, sharing a little bit more with our audience and kind of coming down to the life stuff. And we have something interesting and fun planned for October. Uh, we will talk about that a little bit more in the next episode, but we think that you're really going to like that. So um, we appreciate everyone listening. We would love it if you could give us a like or a follow on social, or just tell your friends and family what, about the content that you hear on the Brother Cousins podcast. If it's a blessing to you, if it honors God and helps you be a better disciple of Jesus, we certainly hope those things are true. Give it a share and let more people know how they can tune in as well. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out with a prayer tonight, and then we'll wrap. Um, say thanks to Lee. I know he was there at your house anyway, but appreciate you being back on. It really worked out to have you back with this episode since your area-wide meeting topic was using hospitality. So appreciate you coming back on, brother. Was it Providence? I don't know. No, I was glad to be here. I, I told him I this subject is very important to us and I rambled so much in the last one that Ellen in particular didn't get to talk about some of the things that we missed out in that sermon but there's a lot of meat left on that bone guys it's it's a it is a very broad and deep topic I think yeah thanks very much brother we appreciate having thanks you for on. having me guys hope the meeting goes well the rest of this week looking forward to it yeah let's pray about that all too. right let's pray our father in heaven we are coming gratefully before you, just recognizing your goodness and your grace toward us, not only in the gospel of your son, Jesus, but in the ways that you take care of us, the ways that you long to bless our lives with your wisdom. Father, as we consider the topic of fellowship and of hospitality, we acknowledge, Father, that your life might be simpler without us. It might be easier without us being involved in the work of your kingdom and in your family because of our sin and our brokenness, our lack of clarity in our own minds, our grudging attitudes. But Lord, we thank you for your grace 
that you have us in your house anyway. Help us, Father, to take that grace that you have bestowed upon us and give it freely to those in need that we may follow your example of love and charity. Father, we pray that you would bless Brother Lee and Sister Ellen as they work in our congregation this week, that it might bear fruit to your glory and to your honor. And we pray that you would bless their work in your kingdom as they work diligently for the cause of your son, Jesus. And Father, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.